Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone. Oh, there we go. The microphone is on. I mean, we can hear some ambient sound. I'm sure that's fine. Uh, So um, uh, let's start with a round of applause. Let's start with that. That would be great. Thank you very much. Uh, Welcome to Tiny Revolutions. This is a new podcast from Lush, where I, Tiff Stevenson, explore if comedy can be a force for social change. I believe it can. Uh, Tiny Revolutions, obviously, is from the George Orwell quote that every joke is an act of tiny revolution. And there's no one that encompasses this better than the guest on today's podcast. So please put your hands together for the fantastic Mark Thomas. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, And I believe that when I say that. You're literally the first person I think of when I think of someone who combines comedy with activism. For example, Showtime from the Frontline, your most uh, recent endeavour. No, it's the second most recent. We've had a new one since then. I'm not up to date. You're not up to date. I need to get on the mailing list, Mark. (laughs) I don't think we've got a mailing list. (laughs) The data. Have you kept the data? What have you done with the data? Um, So second to last show mm-hmm. but the reason I bring this up is because you are the only comic I can imagine doing this you're the only person that goes should we just do a gig in Palestine <laughs> and see what happens so tell us about that okay um what happened was in um I think it was 2009 I decided that what I wanted to do was to walk the length of the Israeli wall in the West Bank um there are lots of reasons for wanting to do it um One is the fact that actually all walls are, are by definition, political walls like this are admissions of failures. What there is, it it says politics hasn't worked, so we're going to put a wall up. And there are a whole load of walls all over the world that actually are there for military and political purposes. And to deny people rights, that's what they essentially do. So the Israeli wall uh, in the West Bank, you could also go, for example, uh, to the Moroccan wall. There is a wall in Morocco for Western Sahara. Western Sahara was occupied in 1974, and they took the top two-thirds of the country, and Morocco has 
put a wall down the side of Morocco and Algeria and cut across. It's the big... And, and Western Sahara. It's the biggest military wall um, in the world, actually. And you can see it from space. This is an active military wall. So you've got that in Morocco. You've got the wall in uh, Israel-Palestine. So it's protesting these walls, these boundaries. That yeah, well, it's not just boundaries. They're put up there. For, what For me, I look upon a wall... Like, if you put a wall up in the West Bank what you will do is attract a lot of people to live near it who are good at getting over it. Right. right? That's, that's what you do. And who like graffitiing, presumably. No, those are only tourists. <laughs> <laughs> but there, is, but there yeah. genuinely is that that's what you do. So they put the wall up, and I wanted to walk the length of the wall, um, talking to as many people as we could, and uh, walking with Palestinians and with Israelis, uh, with people from as many different political persuasions as we could. And we met all sorts of people. So we met people... We met the architect of the wall. We met the intellectual architect of the wall. We met the... We went on, on, on patrol with the Magav, who are the military... Sort of like these... They're just nuts. Uh, and we had to... We, so we get into a jeep, and we have to move all the hand grenades and, and the batons to make room for me and this the camera. This is what I mean. You're the only person who would do this. This is insanity. Well, so, so no, but what happened was we went over there, and when, we went, when I was over there, there's an amazing theatre, and it's called the Janine Freedom Theatre, and it's set up in a refugee camp in Janine, and it was set up by a man called Juliana Mechamis, who is half Israeli, half Palestinian, and... He very firmly believed in this idea of a, a cultural intifada, an uprising, a cultural uprising that would actually encourage people to discuss and become involved in ideas and politics. And he is, and also to reflect people's history. Because right. actually, if you are an oppressed group, part of the attack that will come from the oppressor is on your history, history yeah. and your culture. Right. And that will be, and that's a classic uh, British imperialism. If you look at the case of Ireland, that very, very simple thing, like the, the Irish language, Gaelic, was banned. Hurling, you know, the, the, the actual sport was banned. Yeah. Right. So these things, you attack the culture, you attack people's identity. Um, and so this, you're the, you're, but you are the person that thinks. This is where I'm going to do this because from the outside, most people would think that is a crazy idea to go. That's where we're going to do comedy, even though it's so necessary. And I believe we both believe doing the type of comedy we do that comedy can shine a light into a dark corner and it can expose what's happening and reach people in a way that, like you're saying, where politics fails, the walls go up where politics fails. Mm. Is that why you think this is a good vehicle well, I think, it's, I think it. it's a vehicle, and I think one of the brilliant things is is when you go to, uh, if you go to Palestine, what's great is giving people voices and actually say, we're well, not giving people voices, just saying, let's hear your voice. Actually, what we were doing is saying, we've got a set of skills, we will transfer these skills to you, and the important thing is when we walk away, these stay with you. Right, we don't want to come. The the, the whole point, you, you meet a we lot. We don't want of to people. come in, show you how it's done. And yeah. Then, yeah, there's a lot of people who will go to places like that, and you talk to Palestinians about this, and they say that's fine. People come here and they learn a lot, and that's great. But at some point, there has to be, what do we get out of this? What do you leave here yeah. for us? And yeah, it's th not just about the the Westerners growing. Yeah, because otherwise, that's a really Orientalist kind of like vision that you go in and say, right, we're going to tell you how to sort everything out, then you leave it up to you, then we'll clear off, and. What we wanted to do was to go there with a friend of mine um, called Sam Beal, who's Dr. Sam Beal, who is a doctor of comedy. She teaches stand-up at Middlesex Uni, and she's remarkable. And so we devised this course 
in the refugee camp, some people had performed before, some people had worked with the Freedom Theatre before, a couple of people had never performed before but wanted to do stand-up, and that was just thrilling. It was so exciting, it was just brilliant, because these people have just got this incredible sense of kind of identity of who they are, and so you get people who, who will stand there, and what they were taught their identity is their love of Korean hip-hop. That's right? unexpected. And, and that's what you don't expect. And I love that. And why not? Why should it be like that? Why should their vision, why should our vision of them just be, oh, well, you're the oppressed people. You must talk about your relationship with the oppressor. And right. actually, that's, a, that's defining their identity. They wanted and to so, talk about their relationship yeah. with the world rather yes. than how and, the world um, sees And it's them. not talking about the occupation, but their life under it. And that's a really majorly different thing. Some of the stories you get are just absolutely remarkable and they are about you know life under the occupation and um there was a there's a beautiful routine that a friend did a guy called Faisal Abulhaja and he does a routine about the curfews and about how when um the curfew happened in Janine so you have to go to bed at a certain time you have to be inside no one's allowed on the streets the um the population increased during this time. Of course it did, right? yeah. You know, you lock people up and say... Well, we're bored all of a sudden. What would we do with this spare and time? He, he does this brilliant routine where suddenly the Israeli army suddenly go, oh, my God. <laughs> and they drive around Janine going, everyone out, the curfew's over, the curfew's <laughs> over. Uh, and they have this demonstration demanding the curfew. But, it's, so, but the playing of that idea is really, really important. And it's in, But for me, what's... As important is that you hear about a young woman wearing a hijab talking about her love of Korean hip-hop, challenging people's conceptions and preconceptions of what a Palestinian woman should be, and it's just, that's just as important and vital as Faisal's material. I think sometimes as, you know, as a woman, just doing stand-up is a political <laughs> act in itself. I, I realise things are changing and... Well, it is. I think you're absolutely right. And the, the, but I love, right, the fact that people go, you know, the Chinese revolutions, which I love that George Orwell quote. And actually, I used it when we were in Palestine because um, some people thought we shouldn't do the comedy show because there was a hunger strike going on in the Palestinian prisons. And I got up at the beginning and made this speech about George Orwell said, each joke is a tiny revolution. And what I hope you will hear tonight are lots of tiny revolutions. And it was really interesting. You could see people go... Okay, we approve of this, yeah. and it was really that was a really nice thing to do. And that's that's one of the, the the moments in your career. But that that's one show. Like this is a thing that you've done consistently. Well, the thing that we did was after doing the club, we then brought everyone over, wrote a show about it with them. So our show was with Palestinian performers, made them the centre of it. And then when we finished, what's really exciting for me is they've all gone home now and they've opened up their own club. Yes. And they've done it independently. And <laughs> More they places for me to gig, Mark. Uh, no, but no, that is amazing, isn't it? Really They're building their own scene. Yeah. And that's so important because you go to, to uh, countries where there isn't free speech or free political speech or protest and they don't have comedy and clubs. And, and what's interesting... They have an underground scene, yeah, don't the they? Underground, but underground scenes are always the most interesting ones. They always are. That's why you find the most interesting stuff. That's why you find people... Uh, there's a great group called the Belarus Free Theatre, which uh, Freedom Theatre, which I love. And I met them at the Oslo Freedom Forum. They're brilliant. Yes. They're brilliant. And they actually came under... Belarus is basically the last dictatorship in Europe. And, and what happened was uh, they did a show about 
suicide, and suddenly they found that all the theatres that used to book them no longer booked them. And when they said, why aren't you booking us, uh, they, they replied, well, there's no suicide in Belarus because everyone is so happy. Wow. And so what they started to do was they started to do shows where you had to leave your phone number and then the production manager would contact you and you would meet in a park or a wood and people would lead you to where the performance would take in place. And the only thing you had to take was your passport in case you got arrested. And so they would do these underground shows. Now, for me, I'm like... I wish I'd been there. That is just so thrilling to actually go, this is what it should be about, giving voice to things which aren't voice. For them, it's quite dangerous. For us, it's almost a position of privilege, I guess, to go, what a thrilling idea, when actually the people that are doing it are kind of... No, I them... think they think it's a thrilling idea too. That's why they did it. Right, oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that, that... It's exciting and thrilling, I guess, but there, being there in the moment and knowing what could happen... Yeah, you know, and, and, and a, you know, a lot of their performers are arrested. There are consequences to this. As we've seen with Pussy Riot, there are consequences yeah. to this. You know, people were poisoned for having the audacity to stand up to Putin. Yeah. You know, and I think there are consequences to these things. Um, but the work that a group that Pussy Riot does, they're fantastic. So yeah. did you always want to? That's what I wanted Sorry, to dig in. No, that's all right. No, I know. I know. We can we can talk for hours. But what I wanted to know was, when did you first realise? Because I think there's a point in every stand-up comedian's career. At what point in your stand-up, when you first got up on stage and first started telling jokes, did you go, I can do more than jokes. I can actually, I can make real change. I, I, I think there's two points. One was when uh, I got booked mistakenly um, at Kensington and Chelsea Council um, event Theatre in the Park. And I was booked very early on. This is about 30, 31 years ago. And Kensington and Chelsea booked me. I got up on stage, did what I normally did, but they were absolutely furious. And they started, some of the councillors started to walk out. And of course, this start, prompted me to have a dialogue well, to heckle them from the stage. And um, it went very badly. And it was kind of like sort of county, you know, Sunday cricket club right. applause when you left the stage. It was right. one person. And uh, the next day, my agent got a letter from the person who was organising it, a councillor, saying, I was absolutely outraged at Mark Thomas's show. And whilst I do not wish to be censorious in any way, shape or form, we mustn't allow this kind of thing on the stage again. I have offered my resignation to the council just as a matter of course. Unfortunately, they have accepted it. <laughs> I got a Tory councillor to resign. I got one to resign in my first two years. And once you get a taste of that, oh, that's chum in the water. I tell you, once you get a taste of that, you're like, I'll have more of this. Yeah. That's better than a heckle any day of the yeah, week. Yeah. And I just was like, I want more of this kind of stuff. And then I suppose we did, you know, there was all sorts of stuff. Um, my, my lovely researcher is, is standing at the back there. It was long-suffering Susan, who's, who's worked with me for over 17 years. And um, I'm going to tell a story about you, Susan, if you don't mind. Um, what happened was years ago, uh, when Michael Heseltine was president of the Board of Trade and Grand Noble Overlord of Trolls and whatever, he, um, he was the first one who started to push the privatisation of the post office. And in opposition to this, and the internet was just beginning to happen, I found out where Michael I mean, obviously, Hesselton... I don't remember that. I'm oh, so no, young, that was a long time yeah. ago. That was a long time ago. You weren't around. 
Um, but I, what I did was I found Heseltine's address, and every gig that I did, I would give out his home address to the audience and get them to write it down and say, use junk mail against him. He wants to privatise the post office, use junk mail. So we got people to fill in all the junk mail th- stuff they could. And we said, when it says, do you mind if you receive other... We pass on your details to other people. Tick, Tick you can have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said to people, you know, send the stuff that you want. You know, just let me know what you've sent off. People sent him everything. Like, the, seriously, people were sending him sort of like, you know, free condoms, book of the month club. You know, it was pants. just every, everything, <laughs> everything. And my, 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 my brother-in-law, who is a deputy head teacher, he came and see, saw me and I said, how are you? He said, I've sent Michael Heseltine out, garden hedge trimmer on 10-day <laughs> trial. <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.